You know, for somebody that deals with technology a lot, you would think that I know to turn my microphone on, but I apologize. Good morning. morning. Now, we're going to see if this is going to be a long morning. If this remote is not going to work, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Chris, can you check on that for me, buddy? Give me my first slide there, Daniel, sir. So my name is Pete. I have the incredible privilege of serving here as the associate pastor at FCF. And this is your, if this is your first time with us, I would love to have the opportunity to meet you following service over in Guest Central. It's a room that's right over here. That would be an incredible privilege. Last Saturday morning, we had an incredible day. And those of you that served at Heart for the Hurting want to let you know that some are still being touched by that. This week, we had Carroll County Human Services show up here at church to pick up the boxes on Monday. And I think they believed that they were small gifts. They had 190 of them. And they showed up in a four-door car. (laughs) They were completely blown away. And um, I just wanted to tell you, thank you again from the bottom of our heart. We are seeing people changed. It's the same thing. You are engaging in ministry. You are serving. You're giving. And it is an incredible honor to be able to be a part of what God is doing here at FCF Church. Last week, Pastor Kim launched our new series, Nativity Singularity. And didn't she do a fantastic job with that? Let her know how much you love she and Pastor Randy and their calling. Now, despite my better judgment, um, I'm going to show you something this morning that was how Jessica and I announced uh, the pregnancy of our first child. Now, Now, Pastor Kim has, she thinks you're all going to make fun of me for how I look. She thinks you're going to make fun of the fact, she said I looked like a a small bearded child, I think was the actual verbiage that she used. Boyish. Um, But I told her, just so you know, I defended you. I said you wouldn't do that, that you were rich in mercy and abounding in love. And, and that you would not make, it, make fun of me for uh, cutting my beard too close to my face or, or wearing a suit to try to look older, that you were kind people. Is this true? Okay. Don't forget that. Let's go ahead and check out this video. <laughs> We've had the privilege of serving at Calvary for almost hey, hey, hey. seven years, something like that. And we, we love you guys. Um, we consider you our family, and we've enjoyed serving here. Um, and I thought that would be the funniest way to tell you guys that we're having a baby. (laughs) But what we actually did is because it was the holiday season, we took a a bracelet box, put the pregnancy test in it, and gave it to a couple of our relatives, and we made a little video for you guys. Check out what I got to Jesse. I got her a present for Christmas. We love you, Jesse. I wish it was already next week so I could hug you. Okay. You ready? Yeah! Oh my 
She was a little bit emotional. <laughs> I think I look the same, to be honest with you. I don't think I look that different. But I show you that because I think that who you tell, how you tell, and, and what you tell, it kind of reveals something about your, your character, your nature, your personality. It'll surprise you to hear that I like to use a little bit of levity when I communicate. And so that's kind of comes through in communication for me. I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to look at Luke 2 here. Let's see how this revelation comes, how this announcement comes. Luke 2 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you, what is it? Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Say one more time. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Anybody like Charlie Brown Christmas? Any Charlie Brown Christmas fans? My man Linus, my boy. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> this was big news. It was an enormous event. It split recorded history. Time as we know it pivots on this date. It was enormous. It was the celestial coming in contact with the terrestrial. God he peels back, pulls back the curtain of heaven and shows us a picture of the heavenly realm. Power, majesty, beauty. Everything before this date led to it and everything after it looks back at it. And this majestic announcement comes to shepherds in a field. Scholars don't really agree, but there's somewhere between 150 million and 330 million people on earth. This event takes place that changes the world forever. And a small group of shepherds are the only ones that knew. Everything is taking place. And I think this speaks to the character and the nature of our God. He's humble. He's pure. He could have written his son's name across the sky. But instead, in obscurity, he reveals it to shepherds. Now you would say, maybe it's just a coincidence, an insignificant detail of the story. I mean, the, the baby was born and the shepherds just so happened to be there. Why does Luke take time to share this? Is it an insignificant detail? No, I don't believe so. The... The religious epicenter of the world, Jerusalem, is five miles away. These are angels. They have the power of flight. And they come to shepherds in a field. There's palaces in Jerusalem, synagogues, the temple. But instead, obscure shepherds in a field. And what is this? This is majesty revealed 
to obscurity. Coming together. And you might ask, just like all of us do, why? Why would this take place this way? And this is what I believe. This was the unfolding of God's perfect plan to fully reveal his heart and regain the trust that was broken in the garden. This wasn't just a mistake the way this played out. This was deliberate and calculated. But to a first century religious leader, this story got off to a terrible start. Jesus is born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth, not a temple, not a palace, no gold-leafed crib, silk sheets, satin pillows. He's born in a manger. This is not a good look. It doesn't make sense to anybody. The angels don't fly into the palace and say, baby, Jesus is born eight pounds, six ounces, and smells like peppermint. No. By the way, just back off with the peppermint. What's with peppermint is getting in everything. It's ridiculous. Just dial it back. Sorry, my wife keeps putting peppermint in all my hands. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> Feeding trough, and the announcement comes to shepherds. And you would say, wow, Pastor Pete, this already sounds really rough. But what if I told you that it's actually worse than you probably realize? There's probably context to this story that you don't have and you don't know. How, let me ask you this question. How many of you know a first century shepherd? See, that's what I thought. You think shepherd and you probably have a different perspective. And so here I want to walk you through what we know about first century shepherds. The first thing we know is this, that shepherds definitely seemed unworthy to receive this announcement. They felt insignificant. They were nobodies. They didn't matter to culture. They were hired hands. If they weren't hired hands, they were generally the youngest in the family like David. Remember Samuel comes to anoint the king and he brings all of his kids and he doesn't even bring his youngest son because he didn't matter. He was insignificant. He's out watching the sheep. And I picture this announcement taking place. I always, and this is what Pastor Randy would encourage us to do. Put yourself in this story. You're a shepherd. You don't feel like you're anything significant. And an angel of the Lord comes before you. The glory of the Lord is there. And potentially for the first time in these shepherds' life, they go, wait, he, he, he sees me? He, he knows me? I'm, I matter? The first thing we know is that they seemed unworthy, insignificant. Or if you're Pastor Randy a couple weeks ago, unsignificant. He, once you're smart enough, you can make up your own words. It's a thing. So, first century shepherds were unworthy. The second thing is, is that they were uneducated. They weren't the best and the brightest. If you were the, the best and the brightest, you didn't become a part of the agrarian workforce. You weren't out in a field you were a blue-collar worker. They, they lacked a little social couth. Most scholars believe, and this will ruin all of your theology about who you bring into ministry. Most scholars believe that these men could not read or write, that they were illiterate. But God brings this announcement to them. Now, again, it gets worse. Shepherds appeared 
unethical. Now, I tried to soften this for you because this is, this is a hard thing to take in, but I'm going to explain to you why. They didn't appear to be. They had a horrible reputation. Shep shepherds weren't seen as people of integrity. And I'll, I'll give you one of the best examples I can give you is that shepherds, according to the law, if they were a witness to a crime, they saw a crime take place, their testimony was inadmissible in court. They were seen as the lowest of the low. The Romans despised them. They saw them as gypsies. They were very transient, nomadic. They would steal people's sheep when they weren't looking. They were terrible. They had a horrible reputation. There was one prominent third century rabbi that's, that actually called them, in a, in a testimony, loathsome individuals. They were unworthy, uneducated, unethical. So I think about this story, and again, I put myself inside the situation. What do you think was happening when the angel came? I mean, these were roughneck shepherds out in the fields. I picture, you know, one of them, like, angel shows up, he drops the cigarette, kicks it behind him, turns his hat around. <laughs> you ever walk in on your kids doing something not supposed to do? Any parent? Be honest. It's your kids. If it, yeah. Like, man. A couple nights ago, trying to go to bed, it's late, you know, and they're all juiced up. We did our tree, and so they're bouncing off the walls, literally bouncing off the walls. And I come in the bedroom. I told them to go to sleep. They get spank, spank, go to sleep, or get spank, spank. And they're kind of back and forth. And we hear them. Our room's next to them. Do, 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 bang, hitting the walls. I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> so I come in, throw on the light switch, and I catch Daniel mid-swing in a pillow fight. Like, shoo. <laughs> so Ethan instantly knows he's dead. He just bows his head in shame. <laughs> Daniel believes that he is going to surpass the speed of light. So he drops the pillow and dives back into his bed. <laughs> but what were these shepherds doing when the angel shows up? We don't know. But it's possible that it, it wasn't pure. It wasn't good. It could have been unethical. Who knows what took place the day before it happened? But he came for him. The next thing we know about them is that they were considered unclean. Now, you probably think this is a reference to physical cleanliness or the fact that they, again, worked outside and they were smelly. I have I've, I've pictures of me holding a sheep, but I've humiliated myself enough already, so I didn't want to show you those. But they, they have like a, a, an oil that comes out of their skin, and so they have kind of a smell to them. They couldn't follow the cleanliness laws. So here's the deal. It wasn't just that they were unclean physically. It was more than that. Shepherds could not follow the cleanliness laws. So although most shepherds from Bethlehem were raising sheep for temple sacrifice, for temple worship, because they couldn't follow those laws, they couldn't participate in the worship that they were providing sheep for. They couldn't even be a part of it. Shepherds were categorically removed from the religious community and fundamentally rejected by first century religious leaders. They weren't even allowed to be a part of it. And yet, God comes to them. And for you, potentially at the beginning of this message, when I mention shepherds, you picture adorable little kids with a crook in their father's bathrobe standing there. Oh, they look so cuddly. 
But shepherds didn't make this story cuddly. They made it revolutionary. It changed everything. It, there is this point, for 400 years there is silence between when, when God had spoken in this moment and he comes to shepherds. I love this. The heralding of Christ's birth didn't come to the religious elite. Now maybe you'd say, Pastor Pete, you're getting ahead of yourself. This is just a coincidence. Uh, God ordained this. It didn't really happen that way. Like you say he ordained it, but I'm not sure it happened that way. Every aspect of God's birth, his son's birth was predicted. We know that he predicted the family, the city, the time. I couldn't do that if I tried. But this happened to be a coincidence. I want to show you something from the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew 2, verse 4. It says it this way. Uh, this is Herod. Herod realizes that a, a king has been born. The Messiah has been born. And he's disturbed by it. He's not, not sure how to respond. He's kind of upset. And so he ends up in this situation. He says, when he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? He's upset. He wants to know where he's going to be. And, and the chief priests, they say, we have no idea where he's going to be. We, we, don't, we don't know where it's going to happen. Is that what happened? No. They reply, in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what was prophesied. It, it was ordained by God. These were not insignificant details that had been left to chance. God was revealing his heart by coming to the shepherds. God was saying, everybody is welcome. They quote Micah 5 too. Why? 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 Why does God announce this monumental event to shepherds? There's a bunch of different reasons people can give. They say, I mean, John 10, 11, that uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, and so maybe there's some parallelism there. You know, David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. But I believe it speaks more to the nature of God than it does the qualifications or symbolism of a shepherd. Let's go back to our initial passage. Luke 2.10. Says, then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring who? You. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And in case you missed it, for there is born to this day. Majesty revealed in obscurity. Purity presented to the unclean. Wisdom given to the uneducated. And significance shared with the insignificant. They were nobodies. It wasn't just that Jesus had come for everybody, which he did. God wanted to make it clear that Jesus came came for the nobody. Every single culture has those who are marginalized, they're overlooked, they don't matter. But what I love is this is the all-inclusive nature of the gospel. Everybody is welcome. 
The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's good news of great joy for everybody, especially those who feel like a nobody. Why do some reject God? I mean, this is such good news. It's so life-changing and transformative. Why would people reject God? Can I tell you, as, as somebody that has been trying to share their faith for 25 years, do you know why I believe a lot of people reject God? It's because they believe God has already rejected them. We have this fatal combination going on inside of us of fear, guilt, and shame. We can't be in the presence of a holy God and we're broken. And here's the really, really good news of this story. I believe that the shepherds are symbolic. I believe the shepherds give us a picture of all of us, our brokenness. God's not mad at you. He came for you. Maybe you feel insignificant. He came for you. Here's what we know. You probably know where I'm going with this. He came for the unworthy. You may say, I'm nobody. I, I don't matter. The world is big. I'm small. You may say, you know, Pastor Pete, I didn't matter to my family. I'm sure I don't matter to God. I never knew my earthly father. I don't think my heavenly father has any desire to know me. He knows you. He sees you. And he came for you. He came for you. Maybe you feel uneducated or underqualified. You say, I'm not the brightest. I'm not the best. I don't have much to offer. You'd say, Pastor Pete, when I was in school, if I got a C in a class, all of heaven rejoiced. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I don't, I don't matter. He came for you. Maybe you say, Pete, I, I got a past. I got a reputation. I'm not seen as a person of integrity. Like I, I've messed up. Well, guess what? You're in great company. As Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know how that word translates all? All. Everybody. All have sinned, but all are welcomed. He came for you. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. This, we talk about it all the time. Appeasement-based theology. God is mad at me, so I got to do obeisance. I got to find a way to make him happy. I got to get him off my back. I got to get him on my side. And that's not God. He's come to you. I'll say it this way. He loves you too much to leave you in what he died to rescue you from. He's not mad at you for it. He knows that sin is killing you. And he says, I, I have better for you. I sent my son. He came for you. And then finally, you might say, you know, I feel unclean. 
I can't tell you the amount of times I have had this response when I've invited somebody to church. I invite somebody to church, get in you know, a relationship with them, sort of spend time. He goes, man, you got to come to my church. Come check it out. And I've heard this more times than I care to mention. They say this, man, if I set foot in a church, lightning would strike. And my heart just breaks for them because that's not the gospel. That's religion. That's trash the churches teach. That's not the gospel. And that is certainly not this church. You can come just as you are. I'm picturing a friend of mine that I've known for a long time that has struggled with this. So I apologize for being so emotional about it. But he came for you. And you don't have to get cleaned up to come to God. He says, I accept you just as you are. Hopefully this will make me laugh. God will catch his fish and then he'll clean them. You can come just as you are to him. And I apologize if a church has taught you something different. The church has taught you, you got to be just right. And if you, you walk inside, my father came to faith and, and he didn't know anything about God. He was a complete mess. He started going to a church and he wore jeans with rivets and his rivets kept scratch, scratching the pews and he got yelled at and he you know, ran from God and got in all kind of trouble. But that's not who this church is. If you're watching online, you think you got to get cleaned up to come to Christ. You are welcome here. We will love you. Amen? Amen. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Christ. You can come to him just as you are. God didn't come for the good guys because guess what? None of us would be good enough. Not one of us. Christ came for everybody, especially those who feel like a nobody. This is my main point today. I have two of them. First one is Christ came for everybody, especially those who feel like a nobody. As a church, we always talk about numbers. In outreach ministries, the Pastor Chris, we talk about numbers because you'll hear us say this over and over again. Numbers represent a life. Every life represents a soul and every single soul matters to God. Second Peter 3.9 says that God is not being slow as some understand slowness, but he's willing that none should perish. Every single life matters to God. And every single life matters to us, should matter to us. I love, I love, uh, I love Christmas decorations. Where are my people? Love Christmas decorations. You say, yeah, okay. Uh, is Miss Christy Ray in here? She normally sits over there. There she is. Doesn't our church look beautiful for Christmas? Hasn't she done a fantastic job? We love you, Miss Christy. I love, for me, it's lights. I want my tree wrapped with so many lights, it's, it's basically on the brink of combustion. I want to be able to warm my hands by that sucker when I come in from the cold. Anybody else? That's you. You say, that's what my tree, my people. These are my people. Keep your hands up. I want to see who you are. There you go. Love you guys. Don't ever change. Don't let the world break you down. <laughs> I love Christmas decorations. I like my tree right about there. But the problem is, 
I'm going to try this here. This could be a terrible idea. The problem is, um, I should have I tried this first probably, but the problem is these were invented uh, either by the devil himself <laughs> or they're a result of the fall of man. Because what, what happens, right? What happens if I pull this bulb out? Anybody know? So if I pull one bulb out, oh, there it is. One, one bulb, you know, remove that one bulb and everything changes, right? I'll plug it back in. Let me see if I can do this. There we go. We think we can exclude one person and everything is going to be okay. But if I pull this bulb out of this, 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 this bulb doesn't matter right here. I'll pop this one out. I'm going to pitch it to the bag. Did I get, did I get, did I get you? <laughs> that bulb didn't matter. Guess what? This string of lights is no longer, it's not going to work, and it's certainly not going to fulfill its purpose. If we think we can exclude people from the gospel, it won't work. We can look like a church. We can have all the other elements. But we can't exclude people and think it's going to be okay. Well, Peter, is there like some illustration that talks about like God going after one and leaving 99? It's not like that's in the book anywhere, right? Luke 15, 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes who? Sinners. And eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until... He finds it. Verse 7, when he finds the sheep, it says that he rejoices for the one that comes to repentance. And that's the great part. I said it earlier, but God loves you too much to leave you in what he died to save you from. Like he's, you, you will come to a place where you turn your back and you say, God, I'm going this way. I'm going your way. But he leaves the 99 to find the one. If I, let you, if I let you watch my kids and you only took care of some of them, I let you take my kids to the, to the creek downtown Frederick, look at the boats, and you came back with two out of three, <laughs> you said, I, Daniel and Zoe are delightful, but Ethan is the biggest extrovert. He won't stop talking to everybody. He wandered off talking with somebody. He's just like you. <laughs> no, man, he would leave the 99. Why? Because Christ came for everybody, especially those who feel like a nobody. I'm closing. One more point I want to make this morning. And I'll tell you, sincerely, this is my favorite part of this entire story. This is an incredibly profound story. There's so much that's in it. But this is truly my favorite part. Turn with me back to Luke 2, verse 15. 
It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us, come on, say better than that, let us to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told to them, excuse me, what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. NIV, this is NIV, says they spread the word. New King James says they made widely known. The Phillips translation says they told everybody. The original King James says they made known abroad. What did the shepherds do? Shepherds responded. Not to my favorite part yet, but we're getting close. The shepherds responded. Listen, it's super easy to hear something and not respond. I'm a husband. I do it every single day. <laughs> Sorry, wherever she is, I apologize. <laughs> if anyone has a small bungalow, I could stay in the night. I'd appreciate it. But I love that the shepherds were the first evangelists. They didn't respond because they were the most articulate. They didn't respond because they were the most qualified. They didn't respond because they had comprehensive understanding of Scripture. Just picture these guys are like, come on, we got to check this out. And they're like, what's happened? I don't know, but we're going to check it out. And that's you with your friend. Like, man, come to church. What's going on? I don't know, but Pastor Randy, Pastor Pete, Pastor Kim, they'll tell you about it. They responded. Why did they respond? I think they responded because they believed. If you believe, if you think it's important enough, you, you have to share it. You can't help but share it. We can't help but not share a restaurant we like at that we eat, that we like that we eat at, eat like that, we, whatever. It's a really cool story. I think it took place about 15 years ago. I can look it up. About a company, a car company, Mercedes-Benz. They created a, a crash technology that has arguably saved millions of lives. Millions of lives been saved by this this specific technology. And they own a patent on it. And almost immediately, people began to come after it and to try to use it. And, and when, when BMW was brought to you know, this case from a law firm, they said, you know, you can, you can fight this and fix it. And they said, no, we want people to know because some information is too important not to share. It's really cool. The representative in, a, in a, a broken German accent says this. You know, there's, there's some information that's just too important not to share. And if you believe, you, you have to share. This would have given them a competitive advantage, all kinds of other reasons, but they felt obligated to share because it was too important. Now, I believe that we have a responsibility to grow in our faith 
2 Timothy 2.15 says to study, to show thyself a proof unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed and correctly divides or handles scripture. So I, I believe that we should learn what we believe. We should study. When Pastor Randy does Bible Institutes, come out, read your Bible, get involved in everything you can to learn and grow. I believe that is part of our developmental process. But people are, are on all different journeys, all different places in their developmental process. And comprehensive theological knowledge is not a prerequisite for sharing your faith. Pastor Pete, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? You say, I don't know. But I'll find out. And guess what's just happened? Now you're in a dialogue. Now you're in a conversation. And it gives you the ability to learn and to grow. This is what God is calling. This is, I love that these unqualified shepherds become the first evangelists of God's son's birth. My second main point is this. God uses everybody. And everybody can reach someone. Come on, this is the gospel. God uses everyone and everyone can reach someone. Say, I don't have all the answers. That's fine. These shepherds, they had no idea what was going on. But they believed that something had happened. You may say, okay, Pastor Pete, like I get that this instance, this is how this took place. And, you know, they, they maybe weren't the most qualified. But it's not like Jesus picked his disciples that way. It's not like they were unschooled fishermen or something. Like, this is God's model. Would you say, here I am. God, I don't have much, but what I have, I give to you. God uses everyone, and everyone can reach someone. God uses everyone, and everyone can reach someone. Now, I have a really close friend. Incredible guy. Uh, really, really, really rough background. Grew up, uh, broken home. Family was a mess. Um, just whatever you're picturing, it's as bad as you can imagine. Spent a lot of time on the streets, got in all kind of trouble. Didn't know his father. Blue collar worker. It's just, again, as bad as you can imagine. But at age 23, he committed himself to Christ. He said, God, I've tried this my way for long enough. And I know that my way is not working. But God, I want to do this. I, I want to do this your way. And if you asked him, he'd say that he never felt like he was somebody special. He never had a, a ton to offer the kingdom of God. But he said, God, here I am. He went to the pastor for a little while. He said, God, here I am. Do what, you, do what you want with me. And God said, you know what? I can use a roughneck drywall hanger from Southeast Washington named Randy Goldenberg.
Will you be faithful? God, I don't have much, but all that I am, I give to you. He planted this church 30 years ago, and I believe that tens of thousands of people have been impacted by his life. And this morning, I think there's two types of people in this room. There's those of you that need to know that God uses everyone and everyone can reach some of you. This is people that have been following Christ for a while, but maybe you've just taken a back seat. Say, God, you know, somebody else will reach him. I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not qualified. I barely know what I believe. God still wants to use you. You can reach someone. We're going to have two Christmas services. The gospel is going to be presented. And I believe, Pastor Randy believes, our leadership team believes that lives will be changed in those services. People are so open to the gospel during this season. Invite them. Don't show up alone. Look at the person next to you, say, be a bringer. Bring somebody to church. And maybe you're in this room, you're watching online. And you're like my buddy. You struggle with this. You don't feel like you're good enough. You feel unworthy, uneducated, unethical, and unclean. And God sent me to tell you that He came for you. He sent His Son for you. He said, I'd rather go to a cross than miss a chance to have you a part of my life. You may feel marginalized by society, but you matter to our God. You don't have to be good enough. He accepts you just as you are. But what he's calling you to is to leave your past behind you and do this his way. You've tried your way. Has it worked out for you? Try it his way. He created us and he knows the best possible way for us to live. And I'd say it this way, if he'll reveal himself to shepherds in a field who were insignificant and didn't matter, he'll reveal himself to you. I'm just gonna ask you just for one second. I'm gonna do something a little different, guys. I'm gonna ask you, I'm not gonna give an altar call or anything, but I just want you to bow your heads. I'm gonna ask Jesse, come on up. And we're gonna sing a song for you. And I want you to think about this. I just, for, for the time being, this is such an important time in our service. I just don't want you to move around unless it's an absolute emergency. Just stay where you are. But I want you to think about the words to this song. I want you to think about the fact that you matter to Him. That whether you feel insignificant, whether you feel like you don't matter, He sent His Son for you.